Latte, and welcome all to Batgirl to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon Podcast, Episode 6. I'm your host, Stella, and Kimberly Rockmore has the night off. Episode 6 is brought to you by The Percolator. 5, 6, 5, 6, 7, 8, step, step, shake, pop, in step, in step, shake, pop, step, step, twirl, jump, squat, jump, 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 hop, bounce, pop, pop. Pop, 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 shake, grab, shake, pop, twirl, twirl, pop, headbang, headbang, tap, tap, step, 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 booty shake, pop, booty shake, pop, step, step, stop. Please percolate responsibly. This episode is also brought to you by George Bear Berryman. George was kind enough to sell me his Birds of Prey collection, which fills in the first half of the series for me. He also sent me some special surprises, like the Oracle action figure. George is the president of the Delta House on the Spider-Man Crawlspace message board, of which I'm a proud member known as Rabbit. Besides being an awesome human being, George is also a very good friend of mine. Ironically, while George was in college, he had a subscription to this final sponsor. Finally, and rather wonderfully, Batgirl to Oracle is brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, bronze, excuse me, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. An example of the prices you may encounter is World's Finest number 176 from this episode, from 1968 in very good condition for $20.95 plus 30% off vintage backstock. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. Again, examples of the prices you may encounter are June's Batgirl number 11 and Birds of Prey number 2, both for $2.69. So, if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out milehighcomics.com. If you haven't already noticed, folks, this episode is going to be really bare. Um, some of you know uh, some of the difficulties that I've gone through, but basically uh, one day my um, hard drive, my external hard drive, would not turn on. In this hard drive has all of my podcasting stuff, audio files, all my iTunes things, and a lot of architecture uh, stuff, things uh, from from school that I was going to use for a portfolio. So let's just say that um, I was pretty unhappy and, you know, sort of, you know, one thread, one thread less, um, not one thread less. I, I don't know what I'm saying. See, I'm so out of it. Um, I did take it to a computer doctor and I was really hopeful that maybe, you know, it was the encasement, uh, which is sort of the, the thing that actually uh, the hard drive is actually in. I get called back, and no, it actually, the disk just won't spin. Um, so extraction of data, um, which I thought was $200, would actually be $2,000. Um, the fee of $200 would be if the disk actually spin, but nothing else was working. They could extract it for $200. But 2000 is because uh, my disk won't spin, and they can send it elsewhere, and they have to open it up in a clean room because dust particles will completely damage the data. So... Let's just say right now I don't have $2,000. Uh, maybe when I get a job, that the first paycheck will go towards that, but right now I'm starting from scratch. It's actually sort of ironic because uh, next episode I was planning on announcing a contest wherein, um, well, basic, I mean, I guess I can just say it right now, a contest to uh, create a new intro, uh, basically, for Batgirl to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. As you know, um, the one that's being used now, it's got, you know, a little bit of Yvonne Craig, uh, Alicia Silverstone in it. You know, some people have problems with that. Uh, and um, I guess the majority of it is Yvonne Craig. And then you have one little uh, a bit of Batman the Animated Series. But I was just uh, going to put out there, you know, if anyone wants to um, make a new intro um, for me. Uh, this is a contest. I, there is a prize. I'm not ready to announce the prize yet. I will let you know that it is a book, but I haven't completely read the book, and I think that it's it's fair to the author. Um, it, it would be more fair that I actually read it, um, and so that day that I actually sort of pimp the book, that that's the day I announce the prize. So, And, it, and the author is actually um, 
uh, a fellow listener. So uh, sort of all in the same same universe, guys. So, you know, if you have any, um, I guess, audio skills, uh, if you would like to try this, you know, I, I definitely am going to look forward to any and all entries. Um, I'm hopeful that maybe I'll get three. I, I don't know. Maybe you guys will surprise me and send in a, a bunch. My only stipulation is... Um, I want, I would like, this is what I would like, um, snips, you know, clips from all the different media incarnations of Babs, if that is possible. Alicia Silverstone is not necessary, and I do agree, yes, it's a little vexing, so maybe, maybe leave her out, but I definitely want, um, Yvonne Craig, and, uh, I do really like the intro I have where, you know, Gotham City, and, uh, you know, that one, that's, that's pretty nice, but everything up, you know, Creative Freedom, but... Try to get in as many incarnations as possible. I hope that it has a nice flow um, from one clip to the other. Um, a nice audio quality would be nice. So definitely have at it, um, men and women. And I look forward to it. Uh, obviously, probably um, make it into an MP3 file, and then you can send it to me uh, via badgirltooracle at gmail.com. So... Here's the contest. The contest will probably continue. Um, I'll probably announce it in episode 8. Oh, my word. Um, May, the episode number 7. I will let you know what the prize is. And then June, the winner will be announced. And uh, I will send out the prize. So, uh, have at it. And, uh, you know, I do apologize about the lack of... uh, Well, the lack of, I guess, the background oracle. Uh, This is going to be talk radio, folks. And... Hope you're okay with that. I certainly have already been beating myself up. Uh, I feel like I, I let you guys down. I feel like I let uh, my sponsor down. Um, but technical problems do happen. Um, and as terrible as it is, and however much I would like to break down and lie in a fetal position and cry, it's you know, it's time to move on, I guess. And uh, <laughs> whatever happens, happens. God had the uh, external hard drive break down for a reason. So. You know, whenever I get $2,000, maybe I'll try to (laughs) recover that data. But until then, uh, we'll just jump back into this uh, episode, uh, the second time that I'm actually recording it. So here we go. Uh, We did have some questions and comments. Um, I actually feel bad because we only had two people, I think, write in, and that was at the very beginning of April, and didn't really let people know when I was recording it. Um, But I could have had a bunch of open... uh, threads, I guess, in the Bad Girl to Oracle message board. So I do apologize about that, but everything will be worked out um, for May. We're going to put something up a thread, you know, ask the question thread, and of course you always have other means via the blog or the email of getting in touch with me. So for Rogue Forever 7, um, a member of the uh, the, the message board um, she says, I believe it's a girl uh, you should put BD on the podcast that would be a gr- good episode also, other than Babs who is your favorite DC character? I certainly would love to have Brad on the on the, on the show um, he certainly would deserve to be that'd be a great guest spot um, and he's sort of the, the godfather um, of all these tiny podcasts that are coming out uh, branching out off of him the only problem is Brad doesn't like DC, so I'm not really sure uh, what we would talk about. He'd have to BS his way through. Um, maybe, you know, perhaps we'll be able to uh, do something on the side, but I'm I'm very happy to at least share um, the Spider-Man world with him uh, each month, so I'm, I'm very happy with it. Uh, as for favorite DC Comics character... Uh, Black Canary is actually... Uh, she's up there for me. Um, I really like her, and, and um, I really like the chemistry that uh, she and Babs have. Um, I think, you know, it really, it's it's borderline friend-sister relationship, um, and I, I thought that it was very well done, you know, from Dixon to Simone. So that's something I'm looking forward to when issue one of the, uh, the re- reboot, I guess, uh, comes out. Uh, there are other people, you know, I, I am a fan of Nightwing, I've certainly grown to love Wonder Woman a little bit more ever since that animated movie, but, you know, Babs is, I think, probably my top, top character. Um, uh, Dinah certainly is probably second, and Nightwing, I am a big fan of his, so those are probably uh, my most favorite uh, of the DC comic characters. 
She also asks, are you ever going to review the Batman, the animated series, starting with season three because Babs starts coming on the show? And are you going to review the Birds of Prey Platinum Flats issues? Those are really good issues, by the way, even though Hawk Girl isn't in it. Yes, I'm definitely going to go through the animated series. Um, I have plans to do all the different media incarnations, uh, not only the animated series, um, the 60s series. I have all of Yvonne Craig's appearances, as well as the Birds of Prey live-action series, maybe the movies. Maybe I'll go through Batman or Robin. (laughs) Who knows? Uh, So, yep, definitely. And... As for reviewing Birds of Prey Platinum Flats, yes, it's a long way from now. Um, I'm in 1968 this this episode, and uh, that's, wow, 2000, um, 2003. So it's a, it's a long way, so be patient. But yeah, definitely I'm going to get to all the older Birds of Prey issues, but it's, it's just going to take time. A frequent listener and a frequent question asker, Hollister for Mayor, he asks, let's see, five questions. Uh, I am of the personal opinion that Batman is a loner and shouldn't have partners. Any comments? I think that this is a yes and no answer for me. Um, yes, Batman is a loner for sure. Um, it's going to happen. I think it's been said before. It's been teased in cartoons and movies that, you know, everyone's either going to leave him or, or die on him. Um, sort of like Patty Hughes on Damages, I guess. And, uh... He's going to be by himself. He's still going to be doing this. I I think that he says there's a time when he'll take off the mask, but there never really is. There's no end in sight for him. However, I think that he needs partners like like Dick, like Tim. Uh, I'm not a fan of Damien, but, you know, I guess he's there. Uh, Because I think it makes him human. Um, Otherwise, I think he would probably go insane. He would just be this monster that sort of works really late hours and has no human contact. And... I think that the people he works with keep him grounded and keep him from turning into an actual bat. So that is my answer. Any thoughts of the Grayson film I posted on the board, i.e. the Spider-Man Crawl Space message board? It was really good. It was a fan-made, but you could not tell. It was well done. Um, and Babs was in it. Babs and Dick were married, which was... It's always nice for us shippers to see that. The weird thing I thought um, concerning that uh, was just that he was wearing not the Nightwing outfit, but his old Robin costume. So it's sort of odd to see 25 to 30-year-old man in it, in uh, the pixie boots and uh, the green, whatever that is, thong underwear thingy. And uh, So that was, that was a little strange. Um, I think I would... I don't know. The biggest journey for Dick was really leaving Batman and becoming his own character. Um, So, it was a little disappointing not to see him in the Nightwing, but still, it was very well done. Number three, former DC editor Valerie DeOrazio feels that Batgirl's character was mistreated in The Killing Joke, Ah, saying, it doesn't take the perspective of a woman into account it doesn't take into account that some women might be so very disgusted with the book and what happens to Barbara Gordon in it. Do you agree or disagree? Please elaborate. The Killing Joke is probably the one thing that I am looking forward to the least in doing this show. Not only because of the implications it has, um... Because that's going to be the last time that I see um, Barbara Gordon sort of whole. Um, but because of what ha- what happens to her is really terrible. And not only the shooting, but yeah, there is some sort of sexual assault there just with the, the stripping off of her clothes and, and taking pictures. Of course, I've... I usually only see the panel of her getting shot. It's like everywhere. I search Barbara Gordon, and I, I see that panel everywhere. It, it does. It is really sad um, and sick in a way. I, I mean, no, it doesn't take a perspective of a woman into account. But, I mean, look who's writing it. And not to say a lot about the author, but, I mean, comics cater to male readers. It's a male-dominated uh, subject area, so... It's not really going to be nice to a lot of women, and I mean, you hear me comment about power all the time anyways, so that's, it's going to be the same thing. Um, Disgusted with the book, probably. Uh, (laughs) 
it, it just sort of makes me sad, I think, to see that the Barbara Gordon that I know and love really dies right there. So that's the main problem I have with it. Um, I think probably I, I, I can't take a, a, a definitive stance on, you know, this entire quote. Um, I think that once I read it, I will be able to tell you, was I sick, was I disgusted? So until then, <laughs> I will say probably yes, but it more makes me sad, just the implications, and uh, that her career is, is over, you know, to a certain extent. It takes her a little while to get back into it, but it's, it's a huge change for the character. Number four. If Megan Fox was Batgirl in a movie, <laughs> oh gosh, is it dream come true or a hellish nightmare come to life? I'm with the second one. Yeah, when an actress basically has a porn star face the entire time, you know, the shocked, hey look, a man with the pizza at my door. Basically, I'd, I'd rather not have her um, as Barbara Gordon. Um, I don't think that she's I don't know if right body type is I she doesn't look like Barbara Gordon I think Summer Summer has a job you know there are other certainly other candidates out there but certainly Megan Fox is not on my list and I hope she's not on anyone's list number five Nightwing's a real scumbag er I mean do you have any comments on the Huntress Nightwing Batman Oracle Love triangle we recently saw in the Life and Death arc in Batman. What was Huntress wearing? I'm pretty sure she was wearing some sort of ball gown. Um, I remember the slit went really high up her thigh, but other than that, I don't think I can uh, comment on that. But generally, actually, uh, <clears throat> women do wear that sort of thing. So, And it was a black tie affair, so it makes sense. As for the love triangle, yeah, that's it's always awkward. Just like it's awkward to have Dinah walk in on on Richard in the the shower and this happened right after Barbara told Dinah that she was in love with him so you know love triangles are always awkward even more awkward when you know the girl and uh, she's on your team uh, probably not at that point but certainly they were and they will be I mean Nightwing slept with Huntress and he slept with Oracle so yeah I don't know I, I question why they try to make some male characters really my gosh, like a, not a sex object, but j just really promiscuous, uh, a real cad. So, if anyone can answer that for me, I'd really like to know. It is really between Nightwing and Tony Stark, I think. Um, there are only maybe two women in the, in the Marvel Universe that have not slept with Tony Stark. Um, and if they ever do, Jessica Drew and Sharon Carter, I will throw a fit. Or just pull Bon Quiqui. Okay, so now that the questions are over with... Uh, get back into the reviews. It's been a little while since I've read these, so this should be a nice little refresher for me. Uh, first up, we have World's Finest Comics, number 176. The Superman-Batman split came out in June 1968. The cover artist is Neil Adams, writer Carrie Bates, penciler Neil Adams, inker Dick Diordano. The cover has the, the four heroes opposing each other in their respective teams with a sort of blacked-out master planner figure in the middle. Uh, my favorite quote was, uh, Superman, and then Superman says, Who'd you expect, Twiggy? Whoever Twiggy is, I have no idea. As Clark Kent, Superman is going to interview actor Ronald Jason. However, Jason suddenly douses him with a chemical that burns off his clothes and reveals Kent as Superman. In a further twist, Jason reveals that he is an alien named Durr from a planet in the Sirius system. He explains that on his planet, the Tontor One, basically the President, was assassinated, and he, the Tontor Two, or VP, teleported himself to Earth in order to protect himself. He believes that he is being pursued by an enemy agent from his home world, which is why he sought out Superman for protection. Superman then flies Durr to his Fortress of Solitude, where he would be safe. Meanwhile, in the Batcave, Batman is visited by another alien named Tyron, who tells Batman that Durr is a criminal who escaped to Earth. The two take the Batplane and search for help, but when Batman suggests that they seek out Superman, Tyron tells him that Durr has tricked Superman into helping him. Batman then decides to seek the help of Supergirl. The three fly to the Fortress of Solitude to apprehend her, but Superman returns to fight them off. This then continues in Part 2, A Tale of Three Teams. While Batman and Supergirl are otherwise preoccupied, Superman flies to Gotham City and recruits the help of Batgirl to help him protect her. 
Suspicious of what's going on, Jimmy Olsen and Robin team up to learn what they can about the strange visitors from the Sirius system by visiting their secret mountaintop observatory. Question mark? While viewing their secret scanning devices, they learn the secret of the aliens, but are conveniently hit with knockout gas before they can warn anyone. At a new hideout spot, Superman and Batgirl fend off the attacking Batman and Supergirl until Tyron suddenly collapses. It is then revealed that he is not an alien at all, but Ronald Jason in disguise. Jason explains that he is dying from a radiation blast and was playing both the parts with the help of his late brother's technology. Desmond Jason, um, Ronald's brother, was a scientist who discovered the identities of Superman and Batman while working with voice prints. An unstable radioactive element exploded, killing Desmond instantly and giving Ronald mere weeks to live. With his explanation complete, Jason dies knowing he had played his greatest role. In fact, Superman and Batman knew about the ruse, but Robin, Jimmy, Supergirl, and Batgirl had not a clue. Days later, the heroes visit some sort of thespian museum, and it is implied that they helped put up a statue commemorating Ronald's memory. Well, this was sort of a strange issue, and takes me all the way back to World's Finest, number 169, the Supergirl-Batgirl plot. Once again, we have a very convoluted plot with more masks than tube socks, people. This issue was well-written, I think, in one very particular aspect. You know, while the ending was a little out of left field, it wasn't completely out of left field. Uh, does that make sense? You know, yes, it was shocking that these two aliens are really one man who decides to have a death scene taken straight out of the opera Carmen, but we all really saw that coming, didn't we? The beginning of the issue was a little unsettling, and it did not make sense why Batman and Superman would all of a sudden go at each other's throats and not even try to confer with each other. Nor do either of the heroes attempt to even ask how the aliens knew their secret identities. So in the beginning, it really seemed like something was off. Number two, it's rather naive of Robin to think that Superman and Batman do not know of his and Jimmy's secret clubhouse. I mean, we're talking about the world's greatest detective and a guy who can see through walls. But on that point, I didn't even know that Robin and Jimmy had a secret hideout. What's up with that? I did like the fact that Batman and Superman contact Supergirl and Batgirl in the only ways they know how. Batman flies over Stanhope with the Batplane emitting an ultrasonic emergency signal that Linda could obviously hear. In a bit of a stranger idea, Superman pretends to be a statue of General Grant in Gotham City Park and begins moving around, freaking people out and getting Bab's attention. He explains that he had to create some sort of mystery for Batgirl since he didn't exactly know her civilian identity. I'm glad to know that Superman, at least, hasn't crossed the ethical line and peeked under her mask, unlike Batman and Batgirl Year One. Now, for the main thing I did not agree with, why not tell at least the girls about the ruse? I suppose one could say that Superman and Batman never got Batgirl Supergirl alone, but how did Superman originally tell Batman of the plot in this case? We readers all know that Batgirl can act since she had to feign her love and spar with Wonder Woman in The Brave and the Bold number 78, so it's not as if she would not have made Ronald believe it. It probably would have been safer to tell the girls because Supergirl was going for the kill. Bab shoots Linda with a synthetic adhesive and Linda throws Babs off of a cliff. In what world is that equal? I have a few nitpicky things as well. Um, number one, Batman caught Babs from her fall off the cliff. Eh, physics, not really going to allow that. You know, 9.8 meters per second squared, gravity. Mm. Uh, number two, Superman has a stretchable cape. Uh, I don't think any fabric could do that. Uh, and finally, number three, Superman... Oh yeah, here we go. Yeah, Superman explains that he knew it was all a ruse because he looked under Ronald's alien guys. Okay, apply that. But also because, and I quote, he exploded the fifth planet in the Sirius system and it's uninhabited. Number one, why would Superman explode a planet? And isn't explode an intransitive verb, which means it does not take a direct object? Shouldn't Superman have made the planet explode? Anyways, that's why they're nitpicky. You know, there aren't really any answers, and it's whatever, picking at threads or whatever that saying is. So I give this issue 6 out of 10 bats. Um, I don't think there is any way we could have seen a story like this in the modern age. You know, there are only some things that can be accomplished in the Silver Age. The next issue, or that I'm going to review, obviously, is Detective Comics number 384. Tall, dark, handsome, and missing. The other story contained in this issue was Whatever Will Happen to Eris Eloise, uh, featuring, featuring Batman and Robin, written by Gardner Fox. 
This issue of Detective Comics came out in February of 1969. The writer was Mike Friedrich, penciler Gil Kane, inker Murphy Anderson. There was nothing very striking about this cover. In fact, it is not even containing the showcase, which actually is uh, its a shame because it's the first time that the, head, uh, the, the headline or the heading Detective Comics Presents Batman and Batgirl is used. So it would have been nice to, to see that in the showcase. Good old Barbara Gordon gets a crush on Mark Hanner, a library patron, and decides to try and impress him with a new hairstyle. When he does not show up the following week, she decides to become a stalker, I mean uh, pay him a visit, by looking up his home address on his file card. Upon arriving at his house, she bumps into a woman, but pays no attention besides noticing the stench of her perfume. When she notices that Mark is not home, somebody has recently been in his apartment, judging by the perfumey smell, and has stolen his medication, she begins to track down the woman she ran into in the hall as Batgirl. Tracking her to an old brownstone, she finds a bunch of armed thugs. Making short work of them and bursting into the next room, she finds Mark passed out and slumped over a chair. Bum, bum, bum. This story is then continued um, in the next issue of Detective Comics, Detective Comics number 385, Hunt for the Helpless Hostage, came out in March of 1969. Writer, once again, Mike Friedrich, penciler Gail Kane, inker Murphy Anderson. The cover artist for this one was Neil Adams. Uh, probably of these two stories, you know, that actually come together as one, I, I picked out probably my favorite quote, um, better than uh, get a look at those gams. Um, Dig the chick doing the Adicite boogaloo up there, up there, Gary. Beautiful man, and she sure knows how to tighten up too. Where's she been all my life? Continuing from last issue, after saving Mark Hanner from the crooks, Batgirl takes him to a hospital where he explains that he is a private detective who has received some less-than-stellar attention from gang boss Webb Foote. Foote was the one who kidnapped him, and probably has Sharon, the shady woman for the previous issue, as his hostage. When Foote and his goons captured Hanner to get the incriminated evidence that Hanner had, his diabetes kicked in and he required penicillin, so he sent for Sharon to get the medication. This was the moment when Batgirl rushed in. After explaining his story and his need to find Sharon, Batgirl departs. Later, when he is well enough, Hanner begins tracking Sharon and waits out at a discotheque in an attempt to get information. Hanner soon brokers a deal to exchange the evidence for Sharon. At Gotham Park, Footwaiter decides it's best to kill both Mark and Sharon, but Batgirl arrives and fights off the crooks. Batgirl is quite relieved to learn that Sharon is not Mark's girlfriend, but his sister. Such a common mistake. The next day, as Barbara Gordon, she manages to secure a date with Mark, an amateur meteorologist, a private detective, and really dreamy. Boy, what a catch. Where can I find one of those guys? Mail-in catalog, I'm sure. Wow. You know, as shocking as it may seem, I thoroughly enjoyed this issue. Um, and by issue, I'm saying I'm taking this uh, Tall, Dark, Handsome, and Missing and um, Hunt for the Helpless Hostage altogether as one. So I really like this story, if that, that clears that up. This was actually a really big step for Barbara Gordon as a character in many subtle and obvious ways. First of all, this is the first issue that Batgirl has been completely on her own. There's no Batman, no Robin. The story all revolves around her. Secondly, Babs undergoes a huge character redesign. Not only does she get rid of her glasses, but she also gets rid of the buns and cuts her hair. I really like the redesign, but I wonder if they worked the story around a planned redesign or if the redesign just worked itself into the story. I guess it's sort of a chicken-egg sort of argument. Of course, there were some moments where I thought, I'm sorry, what? For instance, Babs tracking down Mark's address because she's concerned for him. Oh, come on now. We both know that you wanted to see him. And then Babs calling Mark a two-timer when they weren't even dating. Poor form. Then we have Babs as a go-go dancer, which is partly hilarious. I actually was wondering why um, attention was given to the dancer on stage, whereas most times the dancers would have just been um, in the background. Um, and I really did think at first, um, oh my gosh, is this Babs? Uh, my final what moment came with Batgirl explaining that she stows her bat bike in the trunk of her car. Yeah, are you scratching your head on that one as well? You know, there are some obvious problems with that, namely it fitting and her being able to lift it in and out of the trunk. I thought it was cute that Batgirl had no idea what was going on and made it seem like she did so that Mark would enlighten her on what he knew. I also liked that Batgirl was cold, waiting in the trees, and therefore had to drop down and settle everything in the park before it got too late. 
We have a nice happy ending for Babs. I was skating in the park with Mark. But why she's wearing a dress outside in the middle of winter is beyond me. So why do I like this issue so much? Because for once, Babs is portrayed as a legitimate girl. She doesn't freak out because she has a run in her tights or falls head over heels for Batman. Rather, she starts acting and thinking a little strangely because of her attraction to a man. How is this different, you might be asking yourself. Well, she certainly doesn't let this get in the way of her work, and she doesn't make any careless errors. In fact, I don't think she made any mistakes at all in this issue. She uses her head in tracking down the girl, finding Mark, getting him to a hospital, getting clues, and following up. Barbara Gordon may act like a girl, but Batgirl acts like a hero. Thank you. I give this 9 out of 10 bats. My favorite issue so far, it made me smile and laugh. The other story that was contained in Detective Comics number 385 was Die Small, Die Big. The, the writer, Robert Kaniger, penciler Bob Brown, inker Joe Giella. The cover for this has Batgirl and Robin in shock because Batman has a note stuck to his cape saying that he will die in 24 hours. This is a little deceiving since Batgirl wasn't even in the story, but Die Small, Die Big was obviously the main story of the entire Detective Comics issue. The quote that I picked out for this issue was very poetic. To his lonely abode trudges Herbert Small, his only listener, a mournful canary who never sings. A party at Wayne Manor is interrupted with the arrival of a statue of Batman and a note stating that Batman will perish in 24 hours. When the statue is unmasked, it is the face of a man nobody attending the party has ever seen before. In a flashback, we learn that the face in question is that of Herbert Small, a never-noticed mailman who idolizes Batman and is stricken with a nerve disease that has made his hearing supersensitive. While doing his regular deliveries one day, he overhears a plot by a number of crooks who plan on getting revenge against Batman. He memorizes the faces of those who leave, and after Batman narrowly beats a group of would-be murderers, Herbert decides to get involved. Since Herbert is terminally ill, he disguises himself as one of the crooks and reports back to the boss, telling him that he's seen Batman's secret identity and reveals that it's Herbert Small. Back at the present, Herbert is the one who leads the statue of Batman with the note, hoping that one of the high-profile people at Wayne's party would be able to get word back to Batman. According to Herbert's thinking, Batman would be able to figure out the clue that has been left to him in terms of the face on the statue being Small's. After the party, Bruce Wayne does figure it out when Alfred brings him the mail. Batman springs in and saves Small's life. However, even though Batman breaks up all the crooks, he fails to save Small's life, who jumped in the path of a bullet meant for Batman. Before passing away, Batman fulfills Herbert's final, implied, wish, namely to see the true face of Batman. Herbert dies feeling like a hero and satisfied, albeit implying that he knew who Batman was all along. Well, well, well. Look what anticipated Amazing Spider-Man number 248, The Kid Who Collects Spider-Man. So why is this in my showcase? I actually don't know, especially when Barbara was only on the cover of the whole issue and three panels in this particular story. This is basically the reason why I will skip some of her appearances that are only listed as Barbara Gordon. So when there is a skip, I'll try to highlight that for you guys, but, but that's basically the reason why there is no character development in this. I'm not going to go into much detail with this issue, but it is a good one. Throughout all of Herbert Small's scenes, I certainly had Mr. Cellophane from Chicago playing in my head. Cellophane, Mr. Cellophane, should have been my name. Mr. Cellophane, cause you can look right through me, walk right by me, and never know I'm there. It was a sad story of a man who never gets noticed and does not care much about his one month to live. In the end, however, he is able to become a great man that Batman, his idol, will probably always remember. I would have aptly titled this Live Small, Die Big, rather than the use Die Small, Die Big, but what can you do? Did Herbert know Batman's identity? Something which Batman himself believes? I actually don't think so. I think that Herbert is probably smiling as he dies because, number one, he was able to get thanks from his idol, and number two, it was ironic that he sent the statue to Bruce's house in an attempt to attract the attention of the commissioner or the mayor and get them to contact Batman. The song of the mute canary and Batman's tears give a pathos-evoking ending to a story that, like Herbert Small himself, most people may not remember. 8 out of 10 bats. In summary of this episode's vintage comics, basically it is about people who are dying, and before dying they are able to reach the pinnacle of their life. 
I feel like this month really has a theme of illness as well. If I may, I'd like to take a moment of silence for my external hard drive, which recently passed away. issue up is Batgirl number 8, Batgirl Rising, Robins Are Red. Writer, Brian Q. Miller, as always. We have a guest artist, Talent Caldwell, and Yavel Guichet, and St- uh, John Staniski uh, as guest artists of the end sequence. Perhaps one of the, the cutest quotes, I think, um, coming from a voiceover of Stephanie. Dear Cosmo, what's a gal to do when her ex drops back into her life? Allow me to clarify. When the ex that she betrayed as a promise to the former Batman drops back into her life. Dearest Batgirl, sometimes a gal can't win, you know? Warmest regards, Cosmo Editor Lady. As Batgirl practices with some robots in the Batcave, she is rudely interrupted by Red Robin looking for Batman. Leslie Tompkins seems to be of interest to the League of Assassins, and Red Robin goes to get some information while Batgirl secretly follows. Meanwhile, Babs and Nick are back at the diner in which they met, getting to know each other without any angry outbursts. Do I sense some chemistry here? 
Stephanie and Tim crash a shindig at the Gotham Metropolitan Museum of Art in order to get Leslie out of there and prevent her assassination. While Tim surprises everyone by returning to the world of the living, Stephanie hides Leslie in a sarcophagus. Tim and Stephanie then do get out with 20 assassins while on elegant evening wear. How that's possible, I do not know. Tim admits that he is proud of Stephanie, and we have an almost moment until some bald chick shows up to be continued. What I really like about this series is how fun it is. Uh, there were several points during this issue that I smiled or laughed, either because of the circumstances, you know, Stephanie accidentally punches Tim, or just some of the, the voiceovers uh, that you're reading, you know, Stephanie's or even the robots at the beginning. Half of the thoughts that Stephanie has um, are completely true. The whole, I'm going to tell myself not to do or feel something, that, but then, you know, I do or feel it anyway, is something that girls battle with all the time concerning ex-boyfriends. I think that this was a big step for the character. You know, Tim was obviously a huge part of her life, and she's not completely over him. But she needs to be her own person right now. For her to say no is a really strong moment for her. I'm also glad that Miller brought Red Robin in at this point in Bad Girls Run. Uh, I think that there's a need to address a lot of issues like Tim and Stephanie in the beginning so that once it's all solved, you know, all these issues, the Bad Girl book can be about Bad Girl, not a Bad Girl plus X team-up book. She needs to be able to make it on her own, um, something which I'm sure Stephanie is painfully aware of. I also like those few panels with Bluebird, a.k.a. Supergirl. Um, you know, it's strange that I found it really cute and is just sort of there for a moment. You blink and it was gone. Uh, I think it shows that Stephanie is really making friends in high places. Uh, Supergirl seems to accept her as Batgirl, and I think uh, this in turn means that Batgirl, um, a.k.a. Stephanie, is really making progress in the DCU. Oh yeah, and let's not forget that Batgirl's vehicle is now called the Ricochet, which is a pretty cool name. At first I thought it was kind of not campy, I don't know. I don't know if you'd call it a cliche either, but I just was like, eh, but now it's sort of, it's it's uh, it's wearing on me, I think. Each time I see it, I think I will like it uh, a little bit more. Now, what didn't I like about this issue? Uh, the art, yes. The absence of Lee Garbit was like a void in my heart. I don't think Caldwell was able to capture the essence of Stephanie and Babs like Garbit really can. Uh, however, he did really make a knockout image of Stephanie in a purple evening gown. I will give him that. And, of course, we have Wendy Harris still being whiny. Same old, same old. I give this 8 out of 10 smiley face bats. They're smiley face, not scary bats, because I really did uh, enjoy this issue, and uh, it really did make me smile, and just thinking about it makes me smile. This was more, obviously, of a Red Robin-centric story, bleeding right, um, bleeding into here right from his book, but it was definitely a major point of growth for Stephanie. This story then continued in Red Robin number 10, Collision Part 2 of 4. The writer was Christopher Yost, or I say I should say is. Uh, the penciler is Marcus Toe, and Ray McCarthy is the inker. The bald chick, I mean Prudence, warns Tim that there are 12 assassinations planned, and Roz, or Raish, depending on how you like to pronounce his name, is coming for Tim. Prudence is sent to kill Stephanie, but Stephanie quickly puts a stop to that. Stephanie chastises Tim for some of the things he has done in the past few months. Meanwhile, Vicky Vale's harassing Alfred, Bruce Wayne clone, and Zoanne Fox in order to find out information concerning Tim Drake. And Roz, or Raish, finds Bruce Wayne clone. At Tim's safe house, Red Robin, Prudence, and Batgirl are trying to come up with a plan when Batgirl suddenly finds a bomb. Tim quickly blows out the four, but it seems the trio bit off a little more than they can chew when they stand opposite some of Roz's best assassins. What I like most about this crossover is the fact that you're coming from Batgirl, where you're obviously hearing Stephanie's voice, and then you come here and you listen to Tim and his feelings on the exact same subject. Not only is he guilt-ridden, but he obviously still has some feelings for his ex as well. Um, and he's definitely surprised and proud of, you know, who Stephanie has become. And man, does Batgirl really take prudence to town. Tim was impressed. Heck, I was even impressed. Yost does a great job with Batgirl's writing. It was really like he was channeling Miller the entire time. 
Stephanie's freak out is classic, as well as some of the little moments like, that's just rude, or what? Oh god, I think I'm deaf. Oh, that's just great. And I'd say the freakout was completely warranted as well. You know, she brings up a lot of good points, and hypocrites really frustrate me as well. I also love the Alfred Vicky scene. Gosh, I nearly forgot how dry and sarcastic Alfred is. Overall, you know, um, art-wise, I really liked the art this issue. Toe really was able to draw background Stephanie as she should be drawn, so definitely a step up from Caldwell from the previous issue well, the previous issue that I just reviewed, background number eight, but, um, you know, Garbit certainly has a place in my heart, so I don't think Toe can really beat him. Uh, but concerning the art, I'll certainly ignore the dress discrepancy on the first page. Um, any of you who are getting both of these titles, you'll probably know what I mean. Just the, the evening gown that Steph is wearing in Batgirl is completely different um, in Red Robin. I also really like the cover for this issue, uh, definitely juxtaposing the past and the present. Hey, why that's what I do every episode. Wink. <laughs> um, I definitely give this 9 out of 10 smiley face bats. I smiled again in this one, so they're smiley and not sketchy little bats flying around. Uh, and I did think that it was a little better than the um, than Batgirl number 8. So. We'll see where this goes. This is, I guess, the end of their team-up. Um, it's not going to continue again in Batgirl, at least. But I know that the next Red Robin that comes out, number 11, she is present in. And um, I have that ordered at my LCS, so hopefully I'll be able to get it and see, I guess, if there's any sort of forward motion in terms of plot in that one. So that's the end of the reviews. It was nice, uh, I think, for the first time the vintage and the the present really aligned because, you know, we had um, a Batgirl story in 1969 bleeding over in two different issues of Detective, and then here, 2010, we have a story that was bleeding over, so that was pretty nice. Um, for my lit recommendation, uh, coming off of a discussion that I had with Michael Bailey, I'm going to recommend something kind of different this episode. Uh, Catullus's collection of poems. Uh, for those that cannot read Latin, I would probably recommend the Penguin Classic translated by Peter Wiggum. I looked at some of his translations, and he, he stays rather close to the, the literalness of the work. Catullus was writing in the, the 60s to 50s BC, uh, a member of the Poetae Noe, uh, the New Poets. Catullus is not only a funny guy, but he's probably one of, uh, of the more dirtier poets, like Ovid. Um, and he's sort of, he's a love poet, though. He does do some elegies. He does uh, kind of a mock epic. Mock not uh, making fun of something, but just that uh, it's not like a huge work, like um, Virgil's Aeneid, for example. Uh, Catullus' mistress, Lesbia, appears and reappears throughout, uh, either bringing him happiness or causing him grief. There are also a couple, like I said, the mini epic poems, um, which are often referenced to by later writers. Um, Ovid references some of Catullus' work. There's definitely different stories thrown throughout. You know, there's a funny poem about a napkin stealer, an angry cry to his critics, which is actually... Um, gosh, I think it's Catullus number 16, and I have to say, when I was translating that for a class one day, I had to re-look up my, the words that I was looking up, uh, because I thought I had the incorrect spelling, because they were, they were pretty terrible. And, you know, there's even a solemn one concerning a funeral, so he really touches all of his bases, and he is a fantastic writer. Uh, Catullus's poems are well-rounded, and really help us elucidate Roman culture, they make it clear for us, you know, what does poem number 16 really mean? And I actually answer that in an upcoming episode of Views from the Long Box, so, you know, stay tuned for that. I also would like to recommend, which is, this is the first time that I've ever done it, the DC animated film Wonder Woman. It is perhaps the best DC animated film that I have ever seen. It was so smartly written, not only with the storyline, but the dialogue as well. You know, the writers, you could really tell that the writers had a strong dedication to the classical and mythological history of the character, the literature that would have been going on at the time, 
um, and the culture. I definitely give it an A+. If you want to read a full review, I actually did a, a review on April 1st for Spider-Man Crawl Space, so you can read a full written review of what I had to say about that. So, with World's Finest Summer 176, the year of 1968, um, i.e. Babs' second year in publication, comes to a close. My favorite issue was probably Justice League of America number 60, Winged Warriors of the Immortal Queen, while my least favorite was Detective Comics number 371, Batgirl's Costume Cut-Ups. Is it any wonder? It was a mixed bag, 1968. I guess it's the second second year, so it's still a transition year. The, the first year of 1967 is going to be the introduction. I think writers don't know necessarily what to do with her. Then 1968, I think, is probably the transition year. They're um, they're sort of putting their their feet in the water and seeing, you know, how how can she handle bigger roles. And then 1969, as we've seen at some of the issues I did. Um, this episode, you can really tell that she's getting her own character. She can be in a story without Batman and Robin, so she's really, she's pushing forward. Uh, so 68, like I said before, is sort of a mixed bag, I think, of good and bad. As always, uh, I appreciate you listening to this labor of love. It certainly is sometimes a labor, but I do always love it. And after I had recorded the vintage half of this episode, which I I did it in two different pieces, I found out that in a sad bit of news, Dick Giordano died on March 27, 2010 at the age of 77. Giordano, who was actually the inker on uh, World's Finest Number 176, was an inker artist and editor. Carmine Infantino hired him in the late 60s as an editor, and from him we got... um, Charlton Comics. I was that's supposed to be a, a Carlton, a Kai, uh, but probably Charlton Comics uh, characters over at DC, and he even helped or had a helping hand in creating the Vertigo imprint. His style definitely uh, defined the Bronze Age of comics. He he served as a mentor to some of the greats we have today, such as Terry Austin and Bob Layton, and his team-ups with Neil Adams are legendary and helped create the definitive Batman of that time taken from newsarama.com. In a shocking twist, something which was recently released, the two blacked-out figures on the cover of Birds of Prey number one were Hawk and Dove, um, Hank and Holly, respectively. What do I think about this? Um, it's a little bit out of left field for me, and I'm actually legitimately sad that Cassandra's not on the team, but I think that I will reserve final judgment until I read the issue so some people are really excited about it that I've read some people are also sort of with the world you know Um, I guess we'll see in May it's really close though we're getting there finally the first Saturday of April I went to a comic show um, around where I live um, and there's about it's it's small there's about um, 10 to 15 dealers, um, obviously a small show for a small town, um, and my main goal was to complete my run of Birds of Prey, and I was coming up empty in the beginning, but I was actually nearly able to complete my run of Birds of Prey, I only have to find number 15 and some one-shots, and I found, um, Suicide Squad number 49, which was something that I really needed, and then I got a couple Batman families, and, um, from the 70s, and I think there were two other vintage comics, um, so I was pretty happy about this. Um, for the complete list of what I got, you know, be sure to visit my blog. You know, what I'm most happy about is the fact that I am now the proud owner of Detective Comics number 359, the first appearance of Babs. Um, and basically, this is sort of how it went down. I basically came with, um, Sixty dollars, uh, because I was not willing to really spend a whole bunch, um, more than that, really. Um, luckily, the place where I found all the Birds of Prey, there was a deal. Sort of, you you find twenty five comics, um, you spend twenty dollars, that kind of thing, and or otherwise they were all a dollar. And the vintage comics that I got, four of them, they were higher priced, but I got them for I think three dollars each. So it was it was really nice. And then, so by the end, by after finding these vintage comics, 
finding, um, I guess, all the, the birds of prey and the, the, the miscellaneous things that I found. I had left $28, which at that time I thought it was 27 And a guy comes up behind me and taps me on the shoulder and he's like, did you see this? And lo and behold, Detective Comics number 359. I'm like, oh no, I didn't know. And so I asked him, you know, how much, how much is it? And he said, I don't know, um, the boss, the guy who was running that booth, um, he just, just, uh, put it out and he saw my t-shirt. I had come in, um, uh, a vintage Batgirl t-shirt and he thought I would like to know. So he said, I'll find out about the price. And then, of course, the booth that I was at looking at stuff, the guy then came up with, um, the, oh, it was World's Finest, um, the, the Supergirl Batgirl plot, because obviously they're trying to make a buck, so now you find out what somebody likes and they'll try to sell it to you. But I wasn't really interested in that. So I go wandering around a little bit, and then I come over to the booth that had the, the Detective 359, and the man who showed it to me, he helped me find some other Batgirl stuff, but I was really only interested in the one that was up there, and so the main man comes back and says who was interested in the Detective Comics, and right now the sticker a sticker was finally placed on it for $40, and I said that was me, and so he's, you know, looking at... Um, well, he looked at me and then looked, you know, at this, and he said, uh, I can only go as low as 30. I was uh, sort of crestfall, and I had $27, as I thought, in my pocket. I did not have enough for a $30 comic. So I go, and I look at some of their older, their Batman and their detective comics, you know, from the, the late 60s, early 70s. And that man's still wandering around. He's not helping anyone. And so I said, would you take $27? Because, obviously, I, I really wasn't trying to cheat him. I know I had 28 now, but 27 at the time is what I thought. And he thinks about it for a moment. Um, and it seems like a very long moment, and, you know, I'm holding my breath. And he said, for you, yes. And because you're wearing a Batgirl shirt. So I get it for 27, and I pull out my money, and I'm like, oh, it's actually, I actually have 28. And he said, oh, even better. So I now have a, a very nice copy. Um, well, it's, I would say it's probably good it's in between good and very good um and i'm i'm very excited i think he was really happy to give it to someone who he could probably tell would really take care of it and really obviously be excited about it so i was very happy um number one for i think being a girl because i think if i were a guy that he would not have sold it to me for for lower than what he was asking and for wearing a back row shirt because i think that also helped me one of the things that I really um, don't like about some of these comic shows, and I don't know if it's everywhere because I haven't really been to many, but the majority of the booths, I would say, they're nice and ordered. You can go, you know, A through B, well, A through Z, and you can easily find everything. But then there were some of them that were just... <clears throat> there was one booth that was organized per letter, but then what was in that letter was wherever. So, like, Suicide could, Squad could be first, and Superman could be last. Like, yeah, it was... So those, just, like, going through all of them, that was kind of intense. But then the one that was uh, the dollar per comic or, you know, the bundle um, sale, there was no ordering system at all. And they had two tables I think set up and you had top and bottom and I spent at least an hour there going through everything and you know the first the top of it there there were some birds of prey but they weren't in order and they were the later half which I have then all of a sudden I'm on the ground and I find this whole heap of stuff um so I was happy and you really do have to do your due diligence and be um patient in order to find what you need What's nice, sometimes there are some sort of crabby dealers. The guy, uh, the the place where I went that had the, the system was alphabetized, but everything was in a clump, so S's were not alphabetized, so it was on a macro scale. The micro scale, no af alphabetizing. I feel like I'm rambling, but really, bear with me. Um, I, you know, his son, I think, was working for him, and he was really nice trying to help me find it, but he's just like, she has to look through them. 
so that's yeah maybe not the best way to get a customer but then there are some other people where if you're excited and you find something then they'll help you out because I was really excited that I found the birds of prey that I needed and then the guy next to me whenever he found a birds of prey he would actually send it my way so I mean there are some really nice characters there and then of course you do have your diamond a dozen mean people uh, you know, after the, the previous episode was published, somebody asked me what was with the music in the middle of the reviews. And, I mean, I'm just looking for a way to transition, I think, from the vintage to the new comics. And that's really all that I'm doing there. You know, if it's annoying, let me know, then I'll stop. But I'm sort of having fun uh, trying to find music that fits the, the theme of the the comics or the episode. So that's that's really why I do it. Instead of jarring you from going uh, from 1969 all of the way to 2010. I give you sort of a breather and then and then start. I also hope that you join the Batgirl to Oracle message board. There are already 24 members, I believe, and uh, I certainly hope to see all of you there. Once again, you can find that at batgirltooracle.proboards.com or even find it linked to my main page at batgirltooracle.blogspot.com you can also send any questions or comments to me at batgirltooracle at gmail.com. I will answer them, or if it's a question for the show, I'll put it on the show. I'd also like to wish my nephew Cameron a very happy fifth birthday. It happened to be on April 10th, so it'll be a little late, but um, I, he had a great birthday party, So, and he doesn't really listen to the show. So, <laughs> Later, maybe when he's older, he'll look back. Um, he is now... A very happy five-year-old. And once again, of course, I'd like to thank Mile High Comics for sponsoring Batgirl to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. This is definitely the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Until next time, fly on, Babs lovers. Do you want to run away together? I would say it was your best line ever. Too bad I fell for it. And I want